Hello, everyone. Welcome to All Things Pilates. I'm Darian Gold. And grab the front of the chair right into your tendon stretch. Yes, come on, even if you don't go high. That's it. As season two comes to a close and we say goodbye 2020, we wanted to reshare with you four of our outstanding podcast and radio show interviews. We begin with John Steele, author of the hotly debated book, Caged Lion. As a young New York attorney drawn to the contrology method, he morphs from a student of Joe's into his close personal friend. In some of Joe's conversations with John, he reveals his thoughts about his method and its ability to help people with their sex lives. You describe in the book that you and Joe spent time walking and as you describe almost power walking the streets of New York City. And one time Joe said something I know you'll never forget, but he had never said it before. Sex is as important as contrology. And I was wondering if you could take us back to that moment when he said that. Well, that gets pretty personal. (laughs) But, and I think it is with everyone. Uh, First place, let's put that back into that same context. Everything was Contrology. A part of your life. Yes, that's right. Whether you're walking or whether you're having sex or whatever you're doing was all lump, uh, taking a shower was all lumped into the same rules for living, let's call them, uh, return to life. I don't know where he'd been that he had to return to life, but he felt that that was life was contrology. So when he said sex was as important as contrology, what I heard in my head was, wow, <laughs> coming from him, nothing could be as important as contrology, but here it is, sex. So uh, originally I was a little perplexed by why he brought it up or how it happened. And Again, you know, I'm reconstructing in my mind what happened in 1964. So that's a long time ago. That's 56 years ago. Uh, and then, I, you know, I got a little worried because I, you know, I hadn't, he hadn't ever asked me about my own life, uh, my own relationship. He knew my wife didn't come in. And that bothered him to some extent. Why doesn't your wife come in? He might have asked me sometimes. You know, so I was a little like, oh, something bad's going to happen. She wasn't interested at all in working her body that way? Your wife at the time? Uh, Or she didn't want to be near you? (laughs) no, no (laughs) No one outside of the small group people was. I mean, she didn't know what it was, really. No, she wasn't interested. She was interested in other things. And uh, most people weren't. You you, you know, if I said to someone at the office, where are you going if they asked me at 5 o'clock? I said, I'm going to go, you know, do a session with Joseph. What's that? And I try to explain it. They'd look at you like, well, you're really strange. And visualization. I mean, when you when you see the Pilates 
the basic mat work or basic reformer work, when you see what's going on with that, take a look at one of the pictures behind you with that <laughs> lady with her leg in the air. I mean, it, it these that's are That's no lady, extremely, that's me. <laughs> well, you're a lady. <laughs> that's a, a beautiful picture. But the point being, that relation ha- happens subliminally to people. And he knew it. And he, he never made a point of it. He never tried to sell it that way. But he knew he was instilling in you that good feeling. And that's what that was all about. And I think people, you know, I've got no comments other than from you <laughs> or questions. And so that tells me a little Uh-oh. about you, Barry and Gold, but that's good. But the point is, it, it, people have accepted that as, as being the truth. It's, there's something there. Pilates instructor and studio owner Sonjay Mayo is our second guest. And in contrast to John, who had no dance background, Sonjay did. She met Joe Pilates at the insistence of her dance teacher and renowned 20th century choreographer, Martha Graham. German-born Sonjay was fascinated with Joe and developed a unique student-mentor bond with him. I wanted to go to the Graham School, but she, at the time, it was in Jacob's Pillow. So with the friends, I went to Jacob's Pillow. I mean, I must have been mad to do that. I hadn't signed up. I hadn't registered, nothing. I just went with them. And in the, in the, at that Graham summer school there, or the week that she was teaching, things started falling into place a little bit because she was working on strengthening the spine, the body in the seated position. Now, that's very difficult to strengthen your trunk and your core with your pelvis fixed. It's much harder than standing. So something started beginning to tick for me. And then Miss Graham said, do you all know that Mr. Joseph Pilates has come back to Jacob's Pillow? Um, Which apparently was unusual because he came for 15 years and then he never came back. But that Mm -hmm. year something, I don't know, I'm not sure of the history, he did come back. And she insisted we go. Well, if Miss Graham tells you you've got to go, you go. Right. And that was the first contact I had with Joseph Pilates. Okay, tell me, what was the first thing that you thought of when you saw him in his little trunks? Well, let me tell you, first of all, the man, you must remember, by then was already probably about 84, 85. And I just remember seeing this very upright man with this excellent posture and this mop of gray hair and this twinkle in his eye and he actually did look a bit like a lion and you know because I come from the from Africa and the bush I I thought of him as a lion this personality the posture the the bearing and he was he was charming he was very very charming um, I have to say this now. I only found out all this much later, of course, because you know I was so naive. I didn't even know who Joseph Pilates was. He was a very different person to the one that people had encountered in his earlier years. 
a very different individual. Had he softened? He had softened. He had mellowed. He was not the frustrated individual that apparently he used to be because he felt that his work hadn't hadn't been given the credibility that it rightly deserved. He he felt that doctors were not referring to him because they didn't believe in his work because they didn't understand it. He was argumentative. I don't know if you've seen those films where he pushes people and and he's very aggressive. I never saw any of that side of him. To me, he was a gentle... I can only say... I can go on my bended knees every night and just be so thankful that I met Joseph Pilates. Because to cut a long story short, I knew in that mat class that this was probably what I was looking for. Now, it wasn't enough, but I knew I had to go back to New York and see him. And that's what I did. And I must tell you that when I walked into that studio, I mean, if I think to myself how how really unprepared I was and how desperate I was. And I don't know if it was perhaps my naivete or perhaps my desperation that he saw, but I just blurted it out. I said to him, Herr Pilates, that's what I called him, Herr Pilates, I am desperate. I need answers. I cannot control my limbs. You have to help me. I mean, can you imagine saying that to someone who never discussed anatomy, I believe, who never had any discussion with anybody. He just told you what to do and you did it. Mm-hmm. And here I was, maybe I was just so young, maybe I, I don't know how, it, but he, he just, I'll never forget this, he just said, he called me Zonia, which is the German, Sanger is the French. He said, Zonia, lie down, lie down on the mat, which I did. And then he said, bend your knees. And I did. And he said, now, let's see. Can you get that lower back on the mat? And, of course, I couldn't. I had this terrible lordosis. Um, and he said, yeah, there's your problem. He <laughs> says, you need the vertical pelvis. The oh. verticale becken. He said, that's why you are in such trouble. And I, I remember thinking to myself, all right, okay. So I don't have this. Now I wonder if he's going to help me with this. And he said, now let's see, can you get that down? You know how he speaks. And I said, no. And he goes, well, and he went to find a little cloth or a little towel and he put it in my back and he said, now? And I go, yes, now I can do it. So he goes, now you lie there for a while, which I did. And then I looked at him and I said, so I have a very tight lower back. I have very tight hip flexors and because of that I don't have the strength in my abdominals to maintain the vertical pelvis. And he looked at me and he said, Sehr gut, Sonia. Very good. And you know, that was it. We were on the same page. This is how it went, and then I do remember the day, I promise you it must have been about eight weeks later, when I walked in and he said, Ja, und wie geht es jetzt? And I said, Hapalatis, you know what? Yesterday, it happened. I am now balancing. I can turn. Awesome. Everything is coming right. And you know that he was so happy. 
Yes. He said, I knew it. I knew it. It's just a question of time. Sonjay, when you walked into and had your first lesson when he put the towel underneath your back and you were looking around, did he have all of the equipment, the apparatus that we know today, was all of it there? You know, he had he didn't have it all in one room. There was one big studio and then there was another smaller one at the back. So I didn't really know what was going on in the back. I believe that we had the Cadillac. Um, and maybe the high chair or something. I'm not too sure anymore. But I do remember that he just focused on the mat with me, and then I did a lot of the high ladder barrel, you know, to stretch the lower back, that sort of thing. Jonathan Grubb, in our third spot, is a Pilates instructor and resident of the Isle of Man. Soon after discovering Pilates, Jonathan learned that during World War I, both his great-grandfather and Joe Pilates were interned on the Isle of Man. Jonathan provides a unique historical perspective on that period of Joe's life. At what point after your teacher started working with you on the apparatus, at what point did you learn that your great-grandfather was on the Isle of Man during the same time as Joseph Pilates? I, I can't remember the point in time. It, it was probably probably two or three months after starting Pilates and I was at my parents' house and I'd said that Carol, my wife, and I were doing Pilates and explaining who Pilates was and what Pilates was. And uh, I'd said he was interned on the Isle of Man. And my dad said, well, your great-grandfather was interned on the Isle of Man. I kind of vaguely remembered him mentioning something when I was a child, but it really meant nothing to me when I was young. And my dad seemed to think he was interned in another camp that they had on the island, which was a smaller camp. So I started to look into it and try and find out a little bit more information. And lo and behold, yeah, I was amazed to find that actually it wasn't the Douglas camp that he was interned at. It was the Nokalo camp. And then further research, there was a couple of uh, camp newspaper articles that one mentioned Joseph Pilates and one mentioned my great-grandfather. And I put two and two together and realized it was the same sub-camp newspaper that they were mentioned in. So that actually put him in the same sub-camp as Joseph Pilates, which was kind of quite outstanding to find out, really. I was amazed. Did you have an aha moment in terms of how this all played out starting in 2013? It, it happened pretty quickly. It did, yeah. And it was kind of like one of those moments where you think, there's no wonder I like Pilates if possibly my great-grandfather had been exercising along with Joseph Pilates. It's kind of perhaps already in my DNA. So it's no wonder I fell in love with the method straight for, away. For sure. Can you speak about whether or not there were metal beds in the hospital on the island? Because there seems to be a bit of controversy about the springs underneath the metal beds. Is that correct? That, that's uh, very correct. Yeah, just looking into the research and examining sort of records and photographs, 
Um, I'd already heard somebody say in a in a film about Joseph Pilates that there were no metal beds at Nokalo. And I've seen on websites people saying there were no metal beds there. That's purely a myth. And I felt that a little bit unfair. If Joseph, to me, he seemed a very genuine, forthright guy, not the sort of guy to make something up like that. And I couldn't understand why he would make something up like that. Why not just say he invented the machines in Germany or America? Why say there was nothing to benefit him from saying that he got the ideas there at Halo. So there are pictures of hospital beds which are clearly metal. Um, so that kind of disproves the fact that there were no metal beds. And I did put a picture on my Facebook page of that and somebody straight away said, oh, well, there's no proof there was springs underneath. They could have had wooden boards or ropes and not wire and springs. So I actually mentioned it to a doctor whose great uncle was a guardsman at Nokalo. Without hesitation, he said, of course, the beds would be all metal because to stop the spread of infection in hospitals, hospital beds were made of metal so they could be washed down with disinfectant straight away. Our final guest is the delightful Pilates elder, Mary Bowen. With her Jungian therapy training, Mary provides deeper insights into her Joe experiences. These include her thoughts about an occasion when Joe took her to his back room to examine her spine more closely. He was a character. (laughs) Did you ever spend any time with him outside of the studio? No, I never saw him dressed in anything except that bare chest. And just, uh, <laughs> uh, he 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 was interested in me once, and he had me come into his private quarters to feel something about my low back that he was needed to have more bare skin in order to feel it right. In my case, I was all I'm, I to this day, and now I'm in my ninety-first year. I still come across as kind of innocent. <laughs> It's born in me, and there was no no womanizing with me except he had had me. He had me. Uh, he said, "Take everything off except your underpants." So I took my uh, tights off. I took my leotard off. Now I said, "Lean on this on your knees on this on this table that was a low table inside the door of his house, and sit on your feet." And then he was poking away at my low back with his hands. And then he said, all right, you can you can get up now. And so I stood up and he said, you could have been a contortionist. Something about the makeup of my, my pelvis. And I said, well, that's interesting. But then he looked across at me, about the six foot of distance, you know, that we require now with the COVID. And, and he said... A shame that you, it's a shame you didn't develop. Because I was about 32 then. I held my breath until I was probably 55. I was not breathing. I was full of spirit, full of intelligence, full of curiosity, and I did it all on that. But not enough to develop a breast. Because when I began to finally yawn and breathe at 55, my breast came in then. <laughs> it was a muscle that was never being used. And and I said to Joe, when he, he says, he looks at my probably 32 A cup boobs, you know, cute little things. And he said, it's just a muscle. 
And I guess it's true because I was not using that. And I said, Joe, I said I was my father's third little girl. I was my father's darling. There was no incentive in me at all to develop boobs. I said, my sisters are older than me. They have fine boobs. And that's when he said, it's just a muscle. So I, I thought, well, I went home and there's this little thing you could put in your hands and you push the heels of your hands together and make the string work. And and I tried that a little bit. And you see, every time you make your, your heels, the hand hit, your boobs jump a little bit. And I, I worked on it probably three or four days and I thought, I don't give a damn about this. My husband at the time didn't give a damn about it. But literally... When I started to yawn and, and we became animal enough to breathe the way an animal breathes, that took 26 years. Then I got boobs like anybody else. <laughs> and he, he was not playing around anymore, which they say he did do, but I don't know. He was fine. He was a gentleman as far as I always saw him. But he evidently, Clara, you would not be able to not tire of this. I mean... Especially when you're a thinking woman, you're not so much, in the, the, neither one of them had much feeling. But they were good together. They were a team. And evidently, the workhorse for the body was Hannah, uh, even with Joe. So Bruce said, we talked about it because he, he had a little apartment on the same floor that they lived on. I think they even shared the bathroom. I don't know. It was a very modest life. But he said, my God, he said, did they fight at night? Oh, who, who, who fought at night? I said, I'm, I'm about, I'm about, fifty, fifty, sixty at that point. And he said, Joe and Hannah. Now he, he come to her room, and that was really a, a fighting match there. And you can imagine it took a woman that strong to not be overridden by that man. So there they were, and and Clara. I just really, truly believe was very grateful to Hannah. I really believe that. And and Hannah and Clara were very fond of each other, and they were all fond of each other, and that was a family. And Bruce said, uh, Friday, Clara would go up to the country to Beckett, and she would clean the house, and she would make a lovely dinner, and then later on, Hannah and Joe would arrive in the car together. And I said, what? I said, you would not get an American wife. But... But, you know, it taught, it taught me so much to hear that, that you can never know anyone. You, you, you cannot judge anything. That, that threesome really worked. Season two was a bit shorter than season one, but no less valuable or informative. I wanted to thank all of my listeners, and especially for those who have posted encouraging comments and playful emojis on my social media. This podcast has given the opportunity to many in the Pilates industry to be heard. They and I are grateful for being part of this profession. I hope you'll continue to support my effort to keep Pilates relevant and by your participation, encourage me to continue to speak out. I look forward to doing just that in January 2021 as we begin Season 3. Until next year, please stay safe and Pilates strong.